Hello there, friend. Welcome back to the Cash Confident Stylist Podcast. So before we get into this episode, I got a question for you. How often do you ask yourself, where the hell is my money going? Okay, look, a lot of us, that runs in a constant loop in our mind. And it's time to take your first step towards financial empowerment. So I wanted to give you a free resource that is going to help you do just that. I wanna give you Assess Your Situation, which is the first module in my course, as well as your guide to figuring out where the fuck your money is actually going. Sorry if you have kids in the car. So this is gonna be a free guide that I've created to help you break the loops, providing you with tools to assess your current financial situation. You don't even have to break out the calculator and to help you gain awareness about what you actually need to start making those money moves where it truly matters. So go ahead and scroll all the way down to the bottom of the show notes and snag it. The link is down there um, and enjoy this episode. Let me know how assessing your situation goes. Thanks friends. You're listening to Backroom Beauty Talks, a real, raw, and unedited podcast for hairstylists. Here, we dive deep into topics that go far beyond the chair. I'm your host, Misty Jane, and I'm a money coach for stylists who want more out of their lives. I help you enhance your mindset around money, get out of debt, and create a life of peace. I'm on a mission to normalize the wealthy stylist while creating a safe space to be perfectly imperfect. Want to join me? You're in the right place. Hello, friends. Welcome back to Backroom Beauty Talks. Today, I'm chatting with Sam Lacoste. She is the host of the Secret Life of a Hairstyle podcast. She is a stylist, a salon owner, as well as an educator. And this episode has so many golden takeaways. I like cannot even tell you. We cover social media. We cover how to communicate with your salon owner um, in a commission salon. We talk about going independent from commission. Literally all of the things. If you like what you hear, do not forget to screenshot this, post it on the gram, tag me, tag Backroom Beauty Talks. Do not forget to tag Hair by Sam Lacoste as well as Secret Life of a Hairstylist. And If you like this podcast, you're going to like hers too. So head on over to Secret Life of a Hairstylist and give it a listen as well. Please enjoy. Hi, Sam. Welcome to Backroom Beauty Talks. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I'm pumped to chat with you again. We just chatted, what, like two weeks ago on your podcast? It feels Um, like it was yesterday. I know. I know. And for those listening, um, she has a podcast called Secret Life of a Hairstylist. So definitely go and check that out on Instagram. And also, is it on all the platforms? Yes, it is. And you can listen on all the platforms. Um, So tell the people, who are you and what do you do? So um, I'm a hairstylist behind the chair um, and a salon owner, and sometimes I feel like I wear a lot of hats and I almost forget everything that I actually do. Um, But yes, I am a salon owner. Uh, We just celebrated our sixth year anniversary, so that was exciting. Um, And I work four days behind the chair, um, which sometimes seems like a lot. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) definitely slowly starting to go back a little bit, um, from that, but I started in the industry right out of high school. I took the course, they had the course in my high school. So I was super fortunate to be able to do that because I feel sometimes I'm like, what would I have done otherwise? Like it was not something that I had really planned to go into, um, in my high school years. Um, however, it was kind of funny. My, my mom had one of those books when, uh, when you're younger, you put in like every year, what your kid wants to be when they grow up, all like the little things of every year, all the milestones. And I had wrote in it from kindergarten to grade six that I wanted to be a hairstylist. So really, yeah. yeah. So it was so funny, except for grade three, my friend and I wanted to be a clown because we wanted to make <laughs> it's cute, but yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. Fun. Yeah. So, uh, weirdly enough, I actually, became what I, I I grew up to be, um, what I, what I wanted. So that's kind of cool. Um, and yeah, so then I started into the hair industry right out of high school. 
And it was definitely a slow burn in the sense of like finding my fit. I worked at a, a number of salons um, until I kind of figured out what I wanted out of it um, and, and finding like, yeah, essentially that right fit for me. Um, and then it led into opening up my own salon with my business partner, James. So we started that. Um, and on the side, I do teach for uh, Redkin as well. So I'm a Redkin artist for them. Um, and I love being able to kind of be in all these like different facets of the industry because there's like, there's so much for us to be able to do. It's super cool um, to have the opportunities that are available within this industry and not only doing hair if you don't want to. So um, I've been able to do a lot of hair shows with them and um, travel around a little bit, uh, helping educate for them, um, doing photo shoots and all that kind of fun stuff. And yeah. And then I have a randomly, I have a, a dance studio on the side that I run and <laughs> with a couple friends. Do you really? Little, yeah. It's a little passion project of, of mine. So we, uh, before the pandemic, we were doing classes every week, doing, uh, uh, hosting different events and flying artists in to teach programs and stuff. And it was super cool. And then we realized it was a lot of work. So we do it like once a month now and just <laughs> different events and have the ability to travel to other cities to dance and perform and all that kind of stuff. So that's kind of like my little passion project on the side. Just, I feel like we, we all need that like little release of something. Um, when we're, we get so busy behind the chair and sometimes it can be, become overwhelming and it's just nice to have that little thing that you can kind of like release and not think for a minute and, and just have some fun. So you wear a lot of hats. <laughs> I know <laughs> I'm like tired. Just thinking of all of those things. <laughs> I know there are a lot of people in my life are like, I don't know how you do it all, but I think the biggest thing is just prioritizing your time. It's what is important in that moment to really focus on and organization, because if I don't have everything organized, then I, my brain is literally all over the place. So just having those like systems in place to keep myself organized. I know that Mondays is my day. I only focus on the salon. Um, and I have another day, like usually Saturdays, I'm doing some dance stuff or whatever it is. Um, so it's just really being organized and, and you can really do anything you want. So, yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, similar. So I went to Votech as well. Um, through high school, which is crazy to think about like starting doing hair at like 18 years old. Mm -hmm. Like, and I never was an apprentice or an assistant. Like I, it wasn't really a thing I felt like when I was coming out of school. Um, and I will say that I feel like I probably would have learned a lot more faster if I would have done something like that. Cause it felt like it took me a long time to really like find my, my footing, you know, with things. Um, mm -hmm which is kind of crazy. It's funny because, um, during the pandemic, there was a lot of conversations with like rules changing in the industry. And I know in the States, it's very, there's a lot of different rules than there are in Canada. And Oh, also I'm from Canada. So <laughs> <laughs> for those of you who don't know, um, but the rules are very different in the States. And I remember being in this forum of stylists and there was this one girl saying, I can't remember which state it was, but they had changed the rules where you had to do like a three month apprenticeship program in the salons. Now, when you're starting out before you can go on the floor and she was kind of complaining about it. And I piped in there and I said, um, because in Canada, there's only three provinces that do it. Um, but you have to, you are required to do a two-year apprenticeship before you get your full license. Oh. So it's totally different. And for those of you who feel like three months is a lot to do that, like two years is a lot. And right. every salon does it differently. Like we will sometimes, you know, if they're ready within a year, we'll put them on the floor, but they legally have to have somebody overseeing them, um, within that program until they get their full license. And it's, it's so like, I could not imagine having just been thrown into the industry without doing that apprenticeship program. So I was super fortunate to work under four women who uh, were chair rentals. Like it was not a salon that I was going to continue on to. I knew that I was going to do your, my two-year apprenticeship and then I'd move on. Um, but the amount of stuff that I learned in those two years, 
is incredible. Like I would not be the stylist that I am had I have not had that. And I remember like the first client I ever took, like I forgot to put a cape on him. I was so freaking nervous. <laughs> the stylist beside me was like, do you want a cape? I'm like, oh yeah, sure. Um, so <laughs> I guess you would appreciate me, that. <laughs> yeah. And it took me like an hour and a half to cut, um, do a men's cut, like super simple, basic men's cut. So had I have not had that and like been thrown into the industry, it would have been totally different. And I would have made a lot more mistakes. Like, yes, we all make mistakes in our career and I still make mistakes, but I would be making a lot more major mistakes had I have not had that and, and getting that understanding of like how the industry works. So I think it's so important to have that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember not wanting clients. Like I remember, you know, I would be sitting in the back room, like for a whole day, you know, like doing nothing. And then Mm -hmm. someone would be like, Hey, Missy, there's a client. And I'm like, I don't want to do it. Cause I was so scared. You know, I didn't know what I was doing. They don't teach you anything in Votech. They teach you how to like pass your health inspection basically, you know? (laughs) So it wasn't until I like started actually educating myself. And luckily I worked for somebody who sent me to a lot of awesome classes and stuff, but it still took like seven years to have a full book which is wild, you know, like thinking about it now, especially with like the age of Instagram, Mm -hmm. you know, I wonder how much faster I could have grown. I don't know if I was good enough to grow at that point, but you know, if Instagram would have been around, cause I was still walking around the shopping center, passing out business cards. (laughs) It's so true. I was literally teaching a social media course a couple days ago and uh, we were having this conversation how like I did not grow up in the age of social media. It took a long time to build my clientele. And especially because I moved to so many different salons before I really found my footing, I only had a handful of clients that really followed me. And I remember like you are, you have cards in your wallet at all times. You are leaving them at the restaurants. You're talking to the girls in the bathroom at the club. You're like giving consultations. I I literally had made printout coupons that I literally cut myself and handed them door to door. And my boyfriend at the time helped me like put them in every mailbox around the neighborhood. But it's like, it's, it's wild to think of how we had to build our clientele back then and how people can build their clientele now. And I mean, it still is a struggle for a lot of people. A lot of people do struggle with social media and how to work it, but it's so much easier to be able to do that. And you can build it with the clientele that you want, not just whoever you can get in your chair. So there's so many different opportunities that you can get through social media now. It's wild. Yeah. What do you think people's biggest struggle is with social media? I think that their biggest struggle is, well, not knowing what to post. Um, I think that it is very easy to sit there and just think, oh, I'm going to post like a picture of hair today, but like, why am I posting this picture? And like, what's the purpose of it? So I think the biggest thing that people really struggle with is just like what their purpose is on social media um, and knowing who they're talking to. And I think that that's really when it gets into Um, you're just kind of like throwing things on there and you're just getting like whatever can kind of go in the door or come in the door, but also you are not like really reaching anybody because there's nobody you're really specifically talking to. So like, for instance, if I, um, wanting to go get a balayage with somebody, like I'm going to go to the person on social media that does really great balayages. And if they haven't posted that, or they're just kind of posting everything, it's like, well, they might not really be good at it or whatever. So it's like really just having that like purpose. You don't have to like specifically niche in one thing, but you do have to have that like specific purpose or that specific person that you're talking to on social media. So I think that's the biggest struggle that people have because then they like wake up in the morning and they're like, Oh, I got to post to social media and it becomes this chore. It's Mm -hmm. like, but what am I going to post? And they're literally sitting there for half an hour scrolling, trying to figure out like what to post. And that's where people get like really frustrated um, and bored on social media. Yeah. I remember um, when I first got on social and I was posting and I felt like I had to post a certain way, 
you know, so I was like, I felt like I would just hear all the noise from like outside. No, you got to do it like this. Or I'd see what other people were doing. And I remember there being a day where I was like, this doesn't feel right. Like everything I was posting didn't like, I wouldn't talk like this. Like I wouldn't, you know what I mean? Like this isn't, doesn't feel like, like if a client walked in right now, this is not how I would talk to them. And mm-hmm. I remember one day going, you know what? I don't care. I'm just going to literally write my captions like I would talk to my client and everything changed. It was crazy. Like it was almost like an overnight, like branding thing happened. Um, and I was shocked. I was like, wow, like really being yourself goes a long way. Cause people want to know what they're walking into. Mm-hmm. They want to see what kind of hair you do. They want to see, you know, who you are a little bit. And it's like, if you're like vanilla mocha latte hair, what does that mean? Do you like coffee? Like, I don't, you know, <laughs> so I just, it was really interesting because it was like, I was making it harder than it needed to be. Mm-hmm. It's true. And I think like it, it all really just comes back to branding and how you market yourself. I think the best example is like Pepsi versus Coca-Cola, mm-hmm. right? Like why would you go with one over the other? And I mean, everybody can argue that they taste differently and they do. I think they taste the same. (laughs) Pretty much the same drink. Yes, they do have a semi difference to them. But at the end of the day, like I know that I'm going to Coca-Cola because I don't even like Coke or Pepsi, but um, I know that I'm more likely to choose Coke over Pepsi because of the branding and the message that they send to me. Like I can resonate with that a lot more. I don't even really know what Pepsi's branding is now. Like, I just, I truly know, like, I remember the polar bear and the, you know, the, the I always just think of divas, like wasn't Beyonce like up there for a while with Pepsi. I don't know. For some reason, I'm just imagining her splashing in water in a Pepsi commercial. (laughs) Probably, probably. But see, I don't even remember that. right? Right. So, um, I think that that is, that really is like the, the, true example of branding and kind of really what your message is that you're, you are putting out to others. And so I think that a really big thing that people need to do is just really sit down and think of who their ideal client is, who they specifically are wanting to talk to, what makes them unique too, because especially when you're in like a large salon and there's so many people, yeah, they can go to literally anybody in the salon. I, I can assume that everybody does great hair in your salon, but why do they want to come to you? Right. What's going to make you stand out to that client. So really, really like sitting down and planning all that out and thinking about it, writing it down. Cause if we just think about it, it'll pass in our brain, but really like writing down every little detail down to like, what does your client wear? What does your client do outside of work? What kind of work do they do? Do they have a nine to five? Do they have a, um, a shift work job, whatever it might be like literally all those little details of what your ideal client does and talk directly to that person. And it'll make it so much easier for you to figure out what you're going to post every day. Um, so I think that's, it'll like, it just makes it so much easier and, and less thinking involves yeah. that. And a lot of times we already have that one client, right? Like we always, a lot of times we have that one person that we were like, God, I wish I could clone her and just do a million of her every day, you know? Mm-hmm. So I feel like even like if, if somebody's listening to this and they're like, huh, I don't know. I have to really think about like, think of that one person you love. You see them on your book. You're excited. Why? Why are you excited? Right. What kind of conversations are you having? What are you talking about? Like, because I feel like you can take that one person that you already have and you can create your ideal client from that. You know, Mm -hmm. it's a good place to start. Yeah, absolutely. And then if you, you have like your certain services that you like to do, um, then you can start, posting about those services and, and focus on that. And it doesn't have to be just like before and after. I literally just had one-on-ones with my staff and uh, we literally like planned out their entire month of social media. And it's literally just thinking, okay, if you want to do, okay, I'll use balayage as an, as an example. Um, it's like, you can do before and afters of balayage. That's great. But now like you can do take your favorite take-home products for maintaining your balayage. You can do, um, uh, your like ways to style your hair, um, like longer hair. Cause I assume you're mostly doing longer hair. Use like, you can really build off of that one thing. You don't have to just 
like resort just back to um, before and after pictures, which is I think what a lot of people do because I think, well, I have to post hair, but it's like, what's all the stuff behind the scenes that revolve around that color, like hot tips about uh, doing a toner every eight weeks to maintain the color because they're usually not coming in every um, two months to get that maintained. So just those like little things that they can do, do with that. Right. Um, and then talking directly to that person. So I mean, you're like- essentially educating them on, on their appointments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's yeah. so much you can do. And then within that too, is just throwing in, um, little experience-based things that they can, they can experience within the salon. So what's unique about your salon? What's like, what's going to draw them to the salon, but then also draw them to you rather than the 15 other people that are, that are sitting beside working beside you. Right. Cause essentially branding is a feeling. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's like yeah. they would like what, however they feel when they're in, when they look at your Instagram, you want them to feel the same when they walk in. I always say that Instagram like gets them in, but like what you do in the salon keeps them coming back. 100%. And you want them to come back three times mm-hmm. and then they're like with you for life. So yeah. we even do like little things in the salon of, um, we have like a little welcome package where they have like a little coupon for every time they come back. It'd be like pre-treatment or 10% off a product or whatever it might be, but they can only use it in like consecutive visits. So just right. do those little things, like get them back, maybe like even do a follow-up, um, email to them or a text Mm -hmm. or call or whatever, see how they're liking their hair, just like keep you in their mind all the time. So, or send them a DM on Instagram, whatever you want to do, but send them their photos. So then they're thinking about you, right? Like those little things that, that keep them in your chair and keep that experience going with you personally. Absolutely. And, and sending the picture usually ends up being their profile picture somewhere. And then their friends, Oh my God, your hair looks so good. And then it's an advertisement. So it's like a win-win. And I really love the coupon idea for the first three visits mm-hmm. or first couple of visits. That's like a really good idea to bring people back in. Yeah. Just to get like, keep, keep people coming back in, keep them engaged. Um, same thing with even like social media, um, sending them their, sending them their photos. It's now they're tagging you in their photos. So we have like, um, a loyalty program. So if you tag us in your selfies, you get points, little things like that, like keep them sharing you and promoting you and keeping you in their mind at all times. Yeah. It's like product placement. It's the same thing. Exactly. Well, <laughs> and at the end of the day, if, you know, we talked about how we had to grow our clientele back in the day, it's really the same thing just through a screen. So like your client is always going to be your biggest advertisement. Like referrals go such a long way. And I think that that's a little bit forgotten these days. It's like, yeah, like social media is great and it's huge. But if your client goes and tells their friends about you, yeah, they're going to check your social media and make sure, but you know, that they want to go to you, they feel aligned with you. But if that friend never would have said anything, they probably never would have looked at your social media in the first place. Mm-hmm. You know? So I think at the end of the day, the old school way is still hidden underneath the modern advertising. Do you agree? <laughs> Absolutely. And I think there's, I think, especially for those who came from the age of no social media, I think we really have to appreciate it in a different way because you might be like, and I've had this conversation with stylists where, you know, like, well, I have like a really good clientele built up. Like I'm happy with it. Like, why do I have to be on social media? The reality is is one of those people is probably going to leave you at some point, or you might want to niche down on something, or you might want to like, whatever it might be there, you're always building. And if you are not building, you need to raise your prices. Um, That's a whole other conversation. Amen. Amen. (laughs) But but I literally had this conversation with my business partner because he's so freaking booked out. And, and I was like, no, you need to just raise your prices. You don't put like, you're not accepting new clients. You need to raise your prices. Um, but the reality is, yes, we are always constantly building. And if we don't have that presence and exactly what you said, you know, they're showing their friends, like Instagram is our lookbook now, or TikTok is our lookbook, whatever it is, that's where they're going to see the work that you do. And it's so easily accessible for people to do that. Now, if you don't have good photos, they're like, oh, I don't really like want to go to that person. It doesn't make them excited to go see you. So making sure that you still have that, like 
the beautiful, it doesn't have to be like super curated. I'm kind of like getting over the whole like aesthetically curated feeds, but show your beautiful work and be proud of what you put on there. Don't just post something for the sake of posting it. Like if you're not like super excited about that photo, don't post it, take a million photos, try different angles, um, do different lighting, all those things to, to get show off your, your showcase, your, your work. Um, but I think that, yeah, as for people who feel like their books are already full and they don't really need to be on social media. Like, yes, there's still a purpose to being on social media. And it is also a way to continue to communicate with your clients. If you have like, say an online store um, within your salon, and I know a lot of salons have that now. So it's a way for you to make passive income um, by talking about products and all these little, like there's just, there's so much more to it than just trying to build a clientele. Um, right. So, yeah. Well, and and I think I hear a lot too, um, especially girls who, well, girls or guys really, um, who have the big clientele. They've been doing hair for a long time. Maybe they have a social media, but they don't really utilize it, or they just don't have one at all. And they're scared to post their work. You know, they're they're scared. Well, the picture doesn't look as good, or or the you know what whatever reason, or imposter syndrome. You know, maybe my work isn't as good as the you know girl down the hall, or or whatever. Um, and because I kind of felt like that at the beginning, but I just started posting, mm-hmm. and you get used to it. Like it feels uncomfortable at first, but like you just start. Your pictures start getting better. You're like, you start learning what you need to do. And I think that that goes a long way. Um, Cause social media is important nowadays, whether we want it to be or not. It truly is. And it's funny. Cause I, I have not deleted any of my posts from when I started in uh, or started with social media. They're funny, aren't they? Oh my gosh. To go back to <laughs> them. Oh my God. That's what I was posting. <laughs> my first well, like yeah. painted balayage is literally like the like last three inches of someone's hair and that's it. Like there was like nothing like, Oh my God, it's so funny. The age of ombre. I remember the first time somebody had sat in my chair and said, I want an ombre. And I went into the back room. I was like, can somebody teach me how to do an ombre in three minutes? (laughs) I like had no idea what I was doing. So it's, I mean, and that just goes like that right there is, starting something, trying it out. And that like, that's even just starting in the industry, right. Is you have to just put yourself out there and learn and make mistakes. And like, no matter what, you're going to make mistakes, but, um, but learn from those mistakes. And so that goes with social media, like just start posting and you will get better and better. And it's practicing putting, you know, again, trying different lighting or, or going into different areas, trying different poses, all those things, like just continue to practice and, and learn and, and you will get better at it and you'll get more comfortable at it. Yep. Um, so yeah. And what about lack of engagement? Cause that's another thing I hear is that, well, I post and nobody likes it or comments or shares it or whatever. And I find that to be interesting too, because, um, we put a lot of worth around that. Like we put a lot of worth around, are people paying attention in my post? Is this even worth it? Cause nobody's looking, but I have gotten a ton of clients that I never, they never engage with anything like the secret followers. You know what I mean? The ones that are looking, but, but don't ever comment or don't ever like, or don't ever DM. They just end up showing up in a consultation in the salon. Oh, I've been following you forever. You know? So how do you feel about that? Like, what would you say to the stylist? That's like, nobody, you know, nobody even like pays attention to my Instagram. So what's the point? I think that that is something. Okay. So I, I teach social media courses and I have like 1200 followers. Like I don't have a lot of followers. Yes. I have taken a lot of education on social media. However, people get so stuck up on having the followers, having the engagement. I know from personal experience that even with only 1200 followers, I have built clientele from social media. So they might not necessarily be following me. They might not necessarily be engaging with my stuff, but I'm putting my work out there and people are seeing it. Um, So I think that that is one thing that, yeah, hundred percent people get caught up on 
you know, checking the analytics and, oh my God, only like 200 people have seen my reel today, but that's 200 people who've seen your reel. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I literally made a post the other day about, um, having like, you know, uh, was like 500,000 or a hundred thousand followers. You only need like 2% of those people to actually sit in your chair to make money. So I think that, you know, even if you only have 200 followers, if you have 200 of the right followers, fantastic. You don't need that person from Brazil or Mexico or where, whatever following you because they're not going to make you any money. So just making sure that you are, um, again, constantly putting yourself out there, sharing the right stuff, talking to your ideal client, then everything is going to follow. Um, I know like even some of my staff only have like 500 followers, but they'll post on their page, you know, a, a, a an opening or a cancellation, last minute cancellation they have, and they fill that spot with only 500 people. Right. So I, I hate to get like caught up in not having enough followers or not enough engagement, because as long as you're putting yourself out there, you'll be okay. Now with that too, we start to get caught up in the right way. And I'm using quotations, the right way of posting or the right way of doing things. And you'll follow, like, I follow so many Instagram accounts on, on how to use utilize Instagram to the best way. And they all tell you something different. Yes. So it truly is. And this is where people get so stressed out about it, or they get frustrated and they just give up on it because they're trying so hard to do it one way, but that might not be the right way for you and for your followers. So say you're always posting in the morning. Well, maybe you have like a bunch of shift workers that work at that time that aren't on social media, right? So you have to constantly play around with it and try different things to see what's going to work for you. And that's where analytics really come in and help, but don't get so caught up on oh my God, it's just not working. Maybe it's like, okay, the reel didn't really engage that well this time. Delete it and try again at a different time. Well, and reels are interesting (laughs) because I find that the least amount of views I get on a reel, the more engagement I get, but the more views I get, the less engagement. So like if I have a reel that only 400 people saw, I may have, you know, 10, 20 comments of people that I actually know, like people that I engage with on Instagram, but I could have a reel that 5,000 people looked at and like not one person commented. So I find reels really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. There, I mean, it's such a new thing and Instagram is like just post or is just trying to really like push it to get them out there. Cause they're trying to compete with TikTok, obviously. Right. So the algorithm is constantly changing and things are going to change every day. Literally in the class I was teaching, I was showing them something and something changed within 30 minutes of me showing them. So it's like, things are constantly changing and we're going to have to constantly change the way we do things. So that's why I just don't get caught up in trying to do the, everything the same way all the time. Now, even with that, like I, posted a, I I don't remember if it was a reel or a photo. Oh no, it was a reel, um, on extensions. And I've been trying to grow my extension clientele and I might've gotten like 20 likes on it, but I gained an extension client out of it. And now that's like two, $3,000 a year that I just, right. So it doesn't, you just need that one person. Right. Really. So even saying you had 400 views on that, that's fantastic because you really only need like 1% of that to actually make a difference. Right. 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 Um, well, and I think we overthink it, you know, like even reels, it's like, if I spend a shit ton of time on a reel, it usually does the worst. But if I'm like, Oh, I have an idea. And I literally just look at my phone, record something real quick and post it for some reason. I'm like, Oh my God. I mean, I don't go viral, but like, Oh my God, I'm going viral. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, wait a minute, why do I overthink all these other things when really I just have to put what I have in my mind out there? So even with hair, you know, oh my God, I love this product. Write it down, write it down, take a picture of it, make a, put like, put some music behind it and, you know, and just write it down. It doesn't have to be complicated. And I think we overcomplicate it because we're constantly hearing information, you know, about social media, like, oh, you have to do it like this. You have to post three times a day. It's exhausting. And we didn't sign up for this. (laughs) No, we did 
not at all. <laughs> I mean, the new hairstylists are because they have to know what the expectations are going into it. But, right. but it is true though. Like we didn't sign up for this. This is not something that something that we thought was going to be a part of our job, but it is now a free tool that we have to utilize. And the reality is, is we might be, yes, my cat has joined the conversation. <laughs> we have a special oh. guest. We have a special guest, Morgan Freeman. Um, Wait, is that your cat's name? Yeah, it's Morgan oh, Freeman. Oh my God, that is so funny. <laughs> I love oh it. Oh my gosh. Um, I totally forget what I was saying though. I'm sorry. Um, uh, we were talking a free resource to be able to use. Yes. So it is, yeah, it's literally a free resource that we have to utilize and we don't have to pay for it. Like I remember we were put, paying like two, three, four, five hundred $500 for, <laughs> we had done a pizza box ad once, which was totally useless. It was like 200 bucks. So <laughs> that <laughs> but, is funny, but we were doing those things to try to like, just get your name out there and you're paying for all these things. And like, this is literally something that we have for free to utilize. So use it and you can actually like curate the type of clientele you want and reach them in mass quantities. So why not? Right. Yeah. Well, and I think nowadays there's so many tools we can use. Like I use later and, um, you know, if I get a a burst of creativity on things, like I can knock out a bunch of posts and just put them in later for the days that I don't feel like posting and it automatically posts it for me. And so I think there's a lot of resources out there that are making it easier. We just have to commit to consistency. And that's sometimes the hard part, I think. (laughs) Oh, a hundred percent. Actually, what I was going to say with that too, is it's as simple as the questions that your clients are asking you in the chair, right? Answer those on social media. And sometimes I even get bad at this and forgetting to write them down, but a client will ask you a client or a question about how to style their hair at home or, you know, what does this product do or what's the purpose of a toner or whatever it is, just answer those questions, like make a post about it in social media. Any question that your client is asking you right there, you have content. So yes, that's so true. That's really good. So Mm -hmm. true. So how big is your salon? Let's switch gears a little bit. (laughs) Um, my salon, we have five chairs. We have seven stylists total. Um, yeah. So we're are you commissioned? Like, yes, we are commissioned. Awesome. awesome. Mm-hmm. So how are you feeling about this shift where so many people seem to be going independent or suites? I don't, do y'all have suites up there, right? We, we don't really have suites in Winnipeg where I am. Um, they are in the bigger cities like Toronto and, and, um, um, Vancouver, so there are, there are some suites that are happening. I think they just like built one in Calgary too, um, but they haven't really reached Winnipeg yet. I know that I shouldn't even say it, but my partner and I were looking at, at uh, investing in suites, but we wanted to get in right after the pandemic and we just didn't have the money to do it at the time, but right. it's a future goal. Yes. <laughs> um, it's interesting because I do notice a lot of stylists starting to just rent smaller spaces. Like we don't necessarily have those like big sweet salons, but people are going more independent um, and creating their own little spaces. So I think the thing with that is, yes, it is cool to go independent. And there's days where I'm like, yeah, it would be really nice to go independent as well. Um, But you have to know what goes into it. And I think that is really the biggest thing is like, you can become wildly successful doing it independently and it can be great and it can be the best decision of your life, or you can go into it and realize, oh shit, I'm running a business. There's so much more to do than just doing hair on my own and making my own rules. You actually have to set rules for yourself to keep yourself accountable um, because it's very easy to you know, um, fall behind on taxes or payroll for yourself or whatever it is, inventory, all those little things, um, and understanding the money that goes into it. So I think there's a lot of stylists that, and this is part of the conversation that has been happening on social media a lot, because I think there are a lot of stylists who 
are following the trend of it and thinking it's a really cool thing to do, but not truly understanding the business side of things. And I think if you want to do it and you really want to do it, great, but understand what goes into it. Now, there is also on the other side, like commission is a great option for a lot of people and they and it depends what salon you go into. I know that there's um, some that are better than others in, in management style. I've been in them. Like I, I know that You're like, I know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know that there are some, uh, people running salons that don't really know what they're doing, but, um, however, even in the beginning, I didn't know what I was doing and it was going, you know, learning as you go. Um, and we're still changing things, but you have to be proactive as a commission salon owner as well, because you are literally in charge of people's careers. That's right. the reality of it. Um, so I think there are a lot of pros to pros and cons to all of them. Like it just really, really, truly depends on what you are wanting out of your career and, um, what you're willing to put into it. That's right. really reality of it. Yeah. It's so true. I went from commission to a suite and I remember within the first like month or two, I a hundred percent understood where my, the other, like half of my commission was going to and my commission salon. Like, you know what I mean? Like I went from like, Oh, I'm going to make so much money to, Oh, I was actually making more money in the commission salon. (laughs) Now I just have my own freedom. But with that, it comes like, I can't like blame my owner for a price raise anymore. Like, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, so it puts a whole different pressure on it. If I want to change my schedule, if I want to raise my prices, like it's my choice. And I didn't have that like thing to fall back on and it felt harder. And I think that people don't think about stuff like that. You know, they, they just think, Oh, I get to do what I want. I get to really, all we're thinking about is we get to create an environment that we want. We don't think about what that entails at all. Absolutely. And I think that like having a sweet salon, you have to be so much better at setting boundaries. hundred percent. You can literally go in whenever you want. You can set your own rules. So in a commission salon, you might be working like nine to four or whatever. And yeah, that's your shift. And that's what you're going in for. There's not as much leeway of running behind or running over, over that or whatnot. Um, whereas in a sweet salon, you can literally do whatever you want. So you have to set those boundaries to not be working like 24 seven, because right. you can very easily do that. And I feel like that's where a lot of stylists are really starting to burn out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, even down to like having clients constantly texting you and stuff, you know, I went from having a receptionist where nobody had my number, you know, to everyone having my number. And it was like, oh my God, what is happening now? I'm more, now I'm everything. Now I'm the assistant. I'm the receptionist. I'm the boss. I'm the stylist where before I was just the stylist. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think, I think as long as people go into it, knowing that great. But like, I talked to somebody recently that was like, I think I want to open, I think they wanted to open a salon. I don't remember. Yeah. They wanted to open a booth rental salon, I think is what it was. And they're like, cause I just, I want, I don't, I want, don't want to work as much. And I was like, well, <laughs> I don't think that's how it works. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> it's so true. But I think that that's something that people also take for granted that like, you can ask your boss to work less, right? Like that's, that is a thing you're allowed to do that. So I think that, I mean, yes, like every salon owner will have their own set of rules. Um, but I mean, like, if you want to work less, like just give them a good reason why you're going to work less and have the conversation and you can do that. So if that's something you need to do for yourself and maybe it is okay, well, I'm going to work less, but I'm going to raise my prices. So, you know, that's now a benefit to the salon owner that they're going to be making more money from you because, you're yes, you're working less, but you're also making more money. So just like really thinking about those, those little things, and you can have still a lot of freedom within a commission salon as well. Um, but again, it's just having those conversations with your boss. And a lot of times, like we don't necessarily know how you're feeling if you don't talk to us and have that line of communication. So I like, I'm a huge advocate within the salon of communication, because if, we don't have that communication. That's where things 
go wrong, right? right? That's where there's a lot of miscommunication. Then people start talking and saying, well, they're Samantha's saying this and that's not right. And blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, like talk to me about it and we'll have that conversation. And I know that that is a big fear of, you know, talking to the, the boss is, is a fear people have. Um, and what, might come from that. But like, if you don't talk to them, they will never know and will never be able to change anything because you haven't had those conversations. So I think that there's so much value in just literally having a conversation um, and, and having that line of communication with your boss. And, and especially for those, like, I'm super fortunate that I have a, um, a partner in it that we can share a lot of the duties, but when you're a solo owner, there's so much responsibility on your back and you don't have those people to always fall on to help you out with those things. So if all you can do as a stylist is have an open line of communication with your salon owner, it makes their life 10 times easier. (laughs) Oh, I believe it. Well, and well, not only like, can you not read stylist minds, but like communicate with the right people? Because I know we all know that the backroom shit talking to -hmm. the wrong people doesn't get anything done. It just pisses off everyone more. And, and you, if you have an issue, talk to the people that can make it better for you because Mm -hmm. just, you know, the backroom, you know, chatter isn't helpful at all. It's making it worse. But if you go and, you know, I remember, um, actually, I was very fortunate to work for some pretty awesome people. Um, and I remember when I was going out on my own and I wasn't going to tell them for a little bit and I got my key and I wasn't technically going to leave for like a month. I think it was around Christmas. And the day I got my key, I thought I was in a vomit in at work. Like I, I text them immediately. They were off. And I was like, can y'all come in tonight? I'd like to talk to you. They knew something was up, obviously, because that's weird. Um, And I sat down and I told them and they were amazing. And they let me work for the last month there, you know, but it's like, if I would have just whispered it around, you know what I mean? And like, who knows what ugliness would have came out of that? You know what I mean? But instead it was just a very much, we love you. We're going to miss you thank you for communicating. And I think that we're so scared that whatever it is that we need to talk about, whether we want to take some time off, whether we want to make some more money, whether, you know, whatever it is, um, you just got to say it. You just got to say it. And it doesn't have to be a conflict. And if it is, there's probably a better salon that will serve you better. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the reality is that not every, salon space is going to be right for you, whether it's the owner or it's the other stylists that are in, in that building. Right. So I think it's really just finding a space that is right for you. If there are any problems that arise, having that conversation and for the salon owners out there, it's really important for you to be able to adapt and change Mm -hmm. because there are, I mean, just look at our industry now, like it's changed more in the last two years than it has in the last like 15. Right. being able to adapt and change with that. Um, and especially for the younger generation that's coming into the salons. Now they expect different things, right. Than your older stylist. So somebody who's in their forties, not old, but, (laughs) but you know, a stylist that's in your forties versus a stylist that's 20 has very different needs that are being needed to, to meet. Um, so being able to adapt and change with that is so, so, so important. And their expectations of a work-life balance is totally different. So having the ability to give them flexibility is, um, super important because that's exactly what they're wanting now. And for stylists, like flexibility doesn't mean necessarily like not making more money. Like they want to make more money to have the flexibility to be able to do different things. So kind of just having conversations, conversations with them and, um, and being able to adapt and change is, is super important because if as a salon owner, if you're just constantly staying the same note, these are my rules, that is it. You're set up to fail. Like it's going to happen because people aren't going to be happy and people want to be able to, um, do different things. So Right. It's so important. 
Mm-hmm. As a salon owner, do you, um, or have you ever struggled with like separating like what the stylist needs and like not taking it like personal? I literally just had this conversation with a friend. <laughs> he had asked me the exact same thing. Cause um, I feel like that would be the, the hard part. Yeah. You know what? I think a really important part of that is because like your salon's your baby, right? Like it is literally your sweat, blood and tears have gone into this business and it is super easy for you to take everything so freaking personally. And the reality is, is that everybody that is working in your space is different. Everybody learns in a different way. Everybody has their own personality. You are never, ever going to have the exact, like a person that is exactly like you working in your salon. And that was a hard thing for me to get over because I do have a little bit of those like control issues <laughs> in the sense of like, I, I want everybody to have the same expectations in life as I do. And that's not the reality. There are stylists who are not motivated by money. There are stylists who are not motivated by um, incentives or whatever it is. So you really have to be able to adapt with those people. Um, and learn how to manage different types of people. So for me, it, it was definitely a struggle. And I, and I, there of course are times where I've gotten really frustrated or angry, but I'm also good at not like reacting on it right away and taking a minute or taking a day just to think about it and come up with a solution. Um, because I know I'm somebody who would totally say the wrong thing and react and get myself in trouble. So, (laughs) but however, like if there's something that happens, like mistakes happen, people are human, um, having the conversation with them and just saying, you know, like, you know, the towels are folded wrong or whatever, whatever it is, you know, it could be the littlest thing that sets us off in a day. Um, but just having that conversation with the stylist about it and coming to a conclusion. Yes. If it continues to happen, 100%, it becomes more of an issue, but everybody just remembering that everybody is different. Everybody has different expectations. Everybody does things in different ways. And all you can do is again, it's, it comes back to communication and having those conversations so that people know where you are at and what's going on in your head so that it doesn't frustrate you and build up in your head. So I think that that's a really important thing because at the end of the day, yes, it is your business. You want it to be the best that it can be, but everybody's going to do something a little bit differently or think in a different way. Like literally just down to folding towels. Everybody folds towels in a different way. They were all taught something different in whatever school they went to. So um, making sure that they have those expectations set in. And that actually goes even just when they start, right? right? When they start with your company, making sure that you your values, your mission for your salon, um, the expectations that you have set for your salon is very, very, very clear right from the beginning, have it in writing, have a salon book, um, with all of that stuff written in it so that that communication and expectations are very clear right from the beginning. And if things are not done, um, or somebody's doing something differently, uh, throughout the time they're working for you, then yes, have those conversations, remind them of that. And if it continues, then of course, that's when you have the conversations. But if you don't have those conversations, they don't understand the expectations you have for your salon, then of course problems are going to come up and you're going to get frustrated. So, um, yeah. Does that answer that question? <laughs> yeah, it did. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's like one of the reasons I like never wanted to open a salon because I'm too much of a control freak. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely took me some time for sure. And, and, and I think it was even one of those moments where, uh, one of the stylists was saying, oh yeah, we were talking in our group chat about so this and whatever. And I was like, oh, you guys have a group chat without me. Oh, oh right. Cause I'm the boss. Right. <laughs> So they're going to talk about things with me. And it's one of those ones like, okay, yeah, this is my business. You know, uh, it's, I, I have the expectations set and they're going to do what they're going to do. But as long as, you know, we all work as a team, everything is good. They're not costing me money by making mistakes or whatever it is, then, then everything's okay. So, right. 
I love that. It's so true. So we're coming up on an hour. So I'm going to ask the last question. This is the only set question that I ask if I remember (laughs) to do it, which I'm getting better at remembering. Um, (laughs) All right. So I ask everyone this question at the end and no, I don't tell you ahead of time for a reason. (laughs) What is the biggest failure that you are the most thankful for? And it doesn't have to be salon ownership. It can literally be anything in your life. Oh my gosh. That is such a loaded question. (laughs) Um, the biggest failure, I feel like it's not something that is like one set moment. I think that it is just a series of I think it's just a series of making mistakes throughout life and like actually learning and growing from them. I grew up as a very uh, non-confident person in my younger years. And I mean, like there's still moments hundred percent where I'm not confident. Um, but I think that putting myself out there has been the greatest thing that I could ever do. Like, I mean, I perform, I get in front of people and I teach them things. And even just sitting on this podcast and, and talking, um, is, is putting myself out there to a lot of people. And I think that that's all you can really do in life. So I think just, I don't even know if I'm answering this properly, but (laughs) there's no wrong way to answer it. (laughs) No, I think it's just, I think it's literally just like having put myself out there and, Yes, I've 100% made mistakes, but I've not, but even from those mistakes, I've, I've really learned from them um, and grown into the person that I am. So I don't think it's necessarily like one major big thing that's happened in my life. It's just a series of, of things over time that have just kind of made me into the person that I am and, and continuing to learn and, and grow and, um, take different education and, and all that kind of stuff that really just keeps me going. So I don't really remember what your question was, but I just kept talking there. <laughs> well, so, well, so the question is, what is your, what failure are you the most thankful for? And essentially I say oh. failure loosely, yeah. um, because yeah. I don't really believe in failure. I think that it's always a lesson and it yeah. always helps us be better. So really, I mean, yeah, you're saying all of them, which is great. like and and that's the thing it's like there's gonna be there is gonna be failure time and time again like it's never gonna I'm gonna be 60 and I'm still gonna fail at something but as long as I continue to put myself out there you know whatever's gonna happen is gonna happen like I even just I mean probably the biggest example in my life right now is um I had a condo and uh, right in the literally middle of the pandemic, uh, they said we had to do like major construction on it. And um, this actually goes back to like kind of your, our money conversation that we had on on, uh, my podcast, but that I ended up having to um, put $20,000 down on this renovation. I did not have $20,000 to my name. I had to try to find a loan in the middle of a pandemic, which is nearly impossible. And I had to uh, move into my parents' house while it was the renovation was happening. All these things that, um, I mean, it was a really, really shitty time. There was like, I owed money for so many things at that time. And I think I literally had like minus a thousand dollars to my name. Like I had $30 in my bank account at one point. I was like, I don't even know how I'm going to pay the next thing. Um, so it's literally just throwing myself back in there saying, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to do what I have to do, you know, whatever money I have to save, um, whatever help I can get from my family. Like I literally get emotional thinking about it because it was such a stressful time in my life. And, um, So it's literally just like, it's literally just throwing yourself back in there, doing what you can, believing in yourself and continuing to move forward. Because if you don't, and you just get back into a slump and, um, it's, it's nothing's ever going to work out. Right. So that goes right back into everything we do behind the chair. Um, everything we do in life that if we 
don't continue to put ourselves out there and, and move forward and figure it out, then we're, we are setting ourselves up to fail. So yeah, it's so true. God, I love that. That what a great way to end this. <laughs> it's really one step at a time. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like I think we dwell too much on on the big the big picture and and we overthink. I mean, we've talked about this through the whole thing, even with social media. But with life, we overthink so much. And sometimes it's like, what can I do right now? What is the one tiny thing that I can do now? And then what's the next tiny thing that I can do now? And the next thing you know, that big scary picture isn't that scary anymore. Mm-hmm. one it's step so at a time. So yeah. literally all you can do. Sam, thank you so much. This was a wonderful conversation. I feel like we could have talked for like two more hours. <laughs> <laughs> Tell everyone where they can find you. Uh, so you can find me uh, at on Instagram at hair by Sam Lacoste. Um, and I have my secret life of a hairstylist, uh, podcast as well. So you can look that up. And if you're ever in good old Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, which I assume nobody's ever coming to, but, uh, we have some great things here. So (laughs) and I'll put your, um, handles and stuff in the show notes too. So if anyone's driving and they want to, um, find that it'll be a little bit easier. So Sam, thank you so much. Thank you. I'm sure this is not the last time we will talk. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. hundred (laughs) percent. Once again, thank you so much for listening to Backroom Beauty Talks. If you like what you hear, screenshot this episode, post it on the gram, tag me at Misty Jane or tag the podcast at Backroom Beauty Talks. And I will talk with you on the next one.